The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And if you're listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now or anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555, and we'd love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So that question, can we talk, strikes fear into the hearts of many people. And in active addiction, it usually meant that somebody was displeased with us. Arguments, emotional upsets, and bad behavior often followed. In recovery, we learn to use spiritual principles to engage in healthy dialogue. And today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope in learning how to connect in meaningful ways using spiritual principles. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of living a disconnected or fear-driven lives and then move into the solution of living based on spiritual principles. After the break, we'll share exactly how we use spiritual principles to move from fearful living to peace and healthy connections. So Lonnie, when you think about that fearful living that we're talking about, that kind of old way of being uh, for us, what, what do you remember about that? Well, when I was reflecting back on that, I was trying to remember a time when I didn't have that kind of an experience. And I had a really hard time coming up with that. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, why? You know, because my family was supportive and caring and, and you know, doing the best they could. But I recognized that, you know, I, I was the eldest. I grew too fast. I was too tall. I was skinny. And I was the butt of some what I considered to be hurtful comments and such. Um, and, and I was, I would withdraw, you know, and, um, and I learned to hide inside of a book basically. And, you know, that was my way of insulating myself from the world. And, and I'm thinking, well, when did that start? And I can remember being about six years old and going, you know, I, I was sent to bed. I would take a book with me and that's, that's where I would spend my time. And, and in this make-believe world, which we've talked about before, (laughs) you know, it started early for me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When I think about what did that 
fearful living look like for me? I I recall first that I was just a very very quiet kid, especially, and um, you know it, it took it took well into life for me to learn how to express myself. Um, I found that for whatever reason, and I don't know even now that I get what was going on with this, but you know, any time that I would speak up or, you know, get excited about something and express myself, I inevitably felt in this, it's almost like an internal emotional hangover or backlash that, and I just kept reconcluding, I should just keep my mouth shut. Everything be fine. If I just don't talk, then I don't feel stupid and nobody tells me that I'm stupid or I could just get to stay out of the whole thing. And so I learned just to be very quiet and not in general, not to uh, express myself. I did from time to time, and I, you know, I, I seem to have always had a way of challenging that, which I'm grateful for now. You know, I, I'm remembering in terms of the Enneagram personality profile, um, I'm, I'm the observer. They call that the number five, and my wing is the six, which is, you know, both of which are fear-oriented, but my six is um, the kind that challenges fears uh, and, instead of runs from them. And so that made for a very interesting life experience, let me just say. Well, you know, and I think this survival mode that, that some of us found ourselves in is really interesting. You know, it's the indomitable spirit of life. We're going to succeed. We're going to push through. We're going to win somehow. And, you know, that showed up for me in, in uh, you know, you reminded me of that with your, your um, comment there. It showed up with me in that I learned some of the same dysfunctional communication styles that I was the target of, you know, and and that was in retrospect and later I'm going, oh, my gosh, you can't believe that. But that was what was patterned. And so that's what I learned. And it's like if you're going to um, in an attempt to connect with somebody, I would attempt to use humor. But the type of humor that I I knew was sarcasm you know, with, and, and poking fun at somebody and uh, calling out something that they were not all that comfortable or proud of or what have you, you know, and it's just another way of name calling really, you know, and making somebody feel stupid or less than or what have you. It's an ego trip. And so I, I you know, I, I engaged in some of that in an unskillful manner in an attempt to try to connect with my peers and with my family and with other people. It's just as the w way that, you know, 14-year-olds talk <laughs> to each other, and it, it stopped working at some point for me. Yeah, I have had someone say to me once, um, you know, more recently in life, sarcasm is murder. And I thought, well, that's a kind of a strong statement, but I, I really understand uh, what that means. And I, I distinctly felt like sarcasm was a sign of intelligence. All the best people to be around were sarcastic. That meant that they were smart and that they understood the world and that they had a sense of humor and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what I didn't see in it and kind of what you're saying, I think, is that, you know, I didn't see the, the, um, how it's very much an attack right? It's, it's a damaging thing to do. And, uh, I, I work hard now to always stay away from that. And if it does ever come up in me, it's a sign for me to look at what's going on. You know, I no longer hold it in high regard. I mean, I, I get that there's an art to it, but it's also a hurtful thing and I choose not to in, engage in it. 
uh, speaking of not engaging, that's another thing that comes to mind for me. What, what fearful living looked like is I did not participate much in life, uh, very much for the same reasons that I didn't want to talk. It's just a lot easier to not do something than it is to do it. Do I want to go, you know, with these people to this place and do this thing? No. What you know, Even before I knew what it was we were talking about, I knew I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get trapped somewhere. I didn't want to be around people who I was uncomfortable with. I didn't want to not know when it was going to end and when I was going to be able to come home uh, and all the above. And so my default response to, um, you know, life was no thanks. I'll just stay here. Took me uh, some doing to to learn other ways of being. There's nothing wrong with that, but if that's if that's the only tool I have, then that's a fairly limiting way of being. I'm reminded then of, you know, this line in the literature that talks about our fear of people, you know, and I, uh, I, I definitely had that. And, you know, this, when somebody says, do you want to, can we talk? Which is different than do you want to talk? <laughs> you know, can we talk? It always implies to me that, at least I read it as, oh my gosh, my first reaction is, what did I do wrong? You know, I feel defensive and I feel like uh, perhaps I, um, I I have to, I don't know, make excuses or perhaps I need to re-examine my motives or something of that nature. When, you know, today I know that that's an old reaction, but I can, you know, I mentioned earlier, I was the eldest of four kids and it was always not, I didn't do it. You know, it was somebody else's fault. I didn't do it. You mm -hmm. know, so blame is a part of that pattern as well of the defensiveness and looking around for for someplace else to put the put the uh, responsibility for whatever it was that was going on, even if it wasn't anything bad. Yeah, I have a daughter that seems to be oriented that way. Well, you know, just it's, it's a, one of her main filters of of life. Who did it? You know, who, who's behind this? I didn't do it. Forrest did it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> that same kind of thing. Even like you say, when it's not an issue of anyone getting in any trouble, it's just one of those lenses that we pick up, I think. And I think we all, we all develop the lenses that serve us best when we're quite young, uh, but it can be, you know, it can take a lifetime to learn to challenge those assumptions. Um, I know that uh, one reason that I didn't talk much or was unwilling to express myself was that I didn't know how. You know, my my emotional vocabulary was very limited. You know, sometimes we say I I, I knew if I was sad, mad, or glad, uh, and that's about it. Well, there are many uh, subtle, different ways that might fall under sad, you know, sad, sad is a category, um, for me now. And, and if I'm willing to spend the time or, or look at my printed colored emotion wheel with all these, uh, detailed, um, adjectives, um, it can, uh, it helps me to, to get better in touch with exactly, uh, what's going on with me. And so, you know, I didn't, I lacked the vocabulary for talking about, emotional things. That's just not something that uh, we had in my family in general. You know, I don't, uh, th that's nobody's fault or doing that. You know how it is. You, you grow up in an environment and some things are and some things aren't. And that's just the way that it is. And I think it's up to us as individuals, as we uh, grow and learn to come into balance with, you know, whatever, whatever hand we were dealt 
you know, and and it, and again, it's it's not a matter of uh, lamenting where we started. It's a matter of uh, seeing where we are and and where we would like to be. One of the things that I realized after some recovery was um, holding me back was not knowing my feelings like you were mentioning, not knowing how to verbalize them, but also not owning them. You know, if I owned them, I had to admit they were real and then I had to deal with them and I had to feel them. And that was the last thing that I wanted to do, (laughs) you know. And so not owning my feelings, um, I learned the projection. I put them off on somebody else. You know, you hurt me. Uh, you made me mad, you know, things like that, rather than owning the depth to which I felt those things, you know, the hurt or the abandonment or the fear or the anger or the helplessness or the hurt, all of those things, you know, that it turns out I had been denying my entire life that those things existed. Um, my coping mechanism was just kind of to brush them under the rug. Come on, be a big girl, you know, just just put your shoes on, keep going. You know, and and that as a coping skill only worked until it didn't work anymore. Yeah, they tend to do it that way. I think as, as a you know an older person, you know, teenage years and later twenties or whatever, I I find that um, I kind of adhere to that. You've heard of the unholy trinity: sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Well, there's a lot of other things that can be mixed in there: cars and staying out too late and, you know, just being raucous in, in general. And so those were some of the kinds of things that uh, I found myself practicing really what was just escapism. You know, if I'm not comfortable with my emotions and I don't know how to express them, um, that is going to put me in a place where I'm going to want to tend to escape uh, from them, don't know how to deal with it. And of course, there's a whole variety of ways uh, that we can do that, some of which will, uh, if we're lucky, land us in a 12-step uh, program. <laughs> so now that we know about this challenge of fearful living, what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles and that we heal and grow when we align our lives with these principles. This is, in fact, the core of unity teachings, God as principle. This simply means that God is the same for everyone, everywhere, every time, with no exceptions. And we have found living by spiritual principle leads to healing and peace, and that's what we want to focus on today. But what do these spiritual principles look like in our lives? How do we know what they are? And most importantly, how do we engage them and align with them to promote peace and healing in our lives? Dan, what's your experience with that? Well, what comes to mind first is, you know, my first exposure to any kind of spiritual way of living was through a unity church. I I got, I was introduced to unity before uh, it became clear to me that I should become acquainted with 12-step recovery. And so, um, you know, there were a decent number of years, you know, maybe five, six years that I had, um, encountered unity principles. And so what grabbed me first and foremost is what we just talked about, this idea of God as principle. I had never heard this before. I had never heard a characterization or an understanding of God that was anything other than, you know, kind of the um, the God we encounter, at least in some biblical narratives that, that looks like, a, you know, a super person or 
um, some uh, an entity, a supreme being that could be moody, you know, could wake up in a bad mood, so to speak, or could be angry at one person and and loving toward another. That's all I had ever really understood. And so, God as principle, God is utterly and completely reliable in all circumstances for all people uh, all the time. Uh, never plays favorites. Um, everyone has the same relationship with, and the task then becomes, well, how open am I uh, to this? Can I, can I see it if I look for it? If I look for it and see it, uh, am I willing to, you know, align my way of being uh, with this and everything that comes out of it? So that was a sort of a doorway. You know, I told my first unity minister, I, you know, I walked through a door and he was the one holding the door open at that time. Um, and many of us have had such an experience at a at a unity church, or maybe a you know a twelve step fellowship was our our introduction. But the the unity understanding of God as principles what always comes to mind first when we talk about spiritual principles. And my first exposure was essentially opposite of yours. My first exposure was through the twelve step door. You know, prior to that, I had that same understanding that you just explained about the the capricious God. And when I walked into a 12-step program and I was told that God works through spiritual principle and principle is unchanging, always the same, and I didn't get it. And they said, okay, think about gravity. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's applied to everybody on Earth the same way. You know, gravity doesn't favor one over another. You know, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't intend something different for somebody and and you know, something else for somebody else. And I'm going, oh, okay, I kind of I kind of get that now. And I had to break it down pretty small. And so, you know, I learned about individual tiny little spiritual principles, the first one of which was honesty. You know, that was, that was, uh, I go, oh, okay. So I have to do my words and actions match. That's basically how simple I had to break it down. You know, that, that this can help me be, uh, have better relationships, can help me be more effective in my communications, can help me be uh, more true to myself if I can learn um, how to act according to this spiritual principle, get in alignment with it, if you will. Yeah, that, uh, w- as you talked about gravity, which is one of my favorite analogies, I think it's a helpful teaching tool to at least get at that aspect of the divine that is unchanging. It reminds me of a, a passage, I believe, from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus basically says, hey man, the rain falls on the unjust as equally as with the just, which tells me it, it doesn't matter what you think is right or wrong, what I think or what you know we as human, the rain falls equally on all. That is, to me, a statement of God as principle. God loves everyone, everything equally, just like you said, gravity doesn't, um, or I think of it, gravity doesn't love the ballet dancer and hate the person that fell and broke their leg. You know, that's silly. Gravity is the same for everyone, everywhere. Another thing, uh, again, and this is core to unity that I found and still find super helpful for kind of, you know, grasping this whole spiritual principle thing is unity's 12 powers. Right, because each of Unity's twelve powers is in itself a spiritual principle, and so I can look at those things—things things like faith, strength, wisdom, love, etc.—and ask myself, okay, so if if um, if strength is a spiritual principle, 
you know, what does that look like? What does it mean to say that strength is the same for everyone everywhere all the time? Now, now clearly, I'm not talking about physical strength. Some people can lift heavier things than other people. That's not what we mean. We mean the idea of strength itself, not an expression of strength, but the principle of strength. It's like, oh, okay, so that that I can see that everybody has that. It becomes a question of how how skillful am I in using it, or maybe I'm overusing it, you know, which brings us to balance. I'll probably talk about that in a little while, but understanding that unity's 12 powers are each of which is a spiritual principle gives me something to look at and wrap my head around uh, to, to begin to comprehend this whole concept of a spiritual principle and, and ask myself, well, how do I, you know, how do I know if something's a spiritual principle? Well, is it, is it like these, is it like these ideas? You know, and I think it was uh, Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, that commented that intellectual assent did not mean belief, yes. you know. And so, but for me, I had to have that intellectual assent first. I had to agree that these were good ideas. I had to agree that my life went better when I acted accordingly. And then I could begin to practice. And for me, that's, that always comes between uh, assent and, and belief is, is the ability to practice. It's kind of like I have to prove it to myself. Does this work? You know, and another one that worked for me was this uh, open-mindedness, you know, and what did open-mindedness mean? It, it meant I would listen to other ideas besides my own. Oh, well, I could do that. Nah, that's not going to work. You know, <laughs> I, I throw it out about as fast as I heard it to start with, but beginning to, to listen to that, that was a principle that I was taught was open-mindedness. Uh, give it a chance. Give other people's ideas a chance. Give this concept a chance. Give it a try. See if it works. You know, if it worked for me, maybe it'll work for you. And, and that opened that door that you were talking about into learning to practice a new way of life, which is what, of course, the recovery program is all about. Yeah, I like that. Uh, listening to other people's ideas. My first thought was, why would I want to listen to wrong ideas? I, I know the right idea. What do you, why, why would anyone do that? Oh, okay. So maybe there's something out there for me. Oh, I never thought about that. Um, something else that comes to mind is I consider a spiritual principle. What is a spiritual principle and how do I know what it is? Is the, you know, it, it's 100% reliable. That's sort of a, you know, a, a, com a comparison or a test that I can ask, does it, does it vary depending on circumstances? Then, then it's not a spiritual principle if it does. Is it 100% reliable, meaning it does not vary no matter what the context is or what's going on? Uh, then it may well be a spiritual principle. And again, something like um, from the 12 powers, imagination for example. So imagination is this power, this ability that we have to conceive of something in, an, in the abstract realm of mind, right? It, it's, I can, I can imagine it's like what, it's what inventors do or what the sculptor does, right? I can imagine the finished sculpture when in front of me is just a big block of stone. And so imagination is 100% reliable. It's not, um, it doesn't change depending on who's employing it or not. We each have that ability. Now, we may not have exercised it, and we may need help in recognizing it and finding it, but it's there, and everyone has it. Uh, it's just, again, it's a matter of what is my relationship with it. That's what can vary. 
So if something, uh, a spiritual principle to me is always 100% reliable, and that's uh, a way I can look at something to assess whether it may or may not be such. Another one that proved reliable for me is this uh, concept of willingness. You know, I was, uh, with a closed mind, I was pretty unwilling. And I was taught that willingness was key to letting in new ideas upon which I could use that imagination to see, well, how might my life change if I did this, if I followed these suggestions, if I, if I did what I was um, told that might be helpful to me. And, you know, and one of the things that I learned about willingness was it required, for me, it required um, a, the ability to become vulnerable because I certainly didn't want to be hurt again. I didn't want to feel helpless. I didn't want to get mad. I didn't want to feel anything, basically. And if I'm willing, it means I'm dropping my guard. You know, I'm dropping the, the, um, um, well, the the guard around it, the the wall that I have up that that kept everybody at a distance. Which, of course, when I dro- drop that, that encourages connection. You know, it allows for connection when I don't have all these walls up, everything protecting myself. And so willingness was key uh, for me to be able to engage in healthier dialogue with folks. Yeah, when I think about willingness, I'm always reminded of kind of that uh, that set of three, right? That that how, how does this work? How do I, I get sober? Well, H, O, and W each stand for what to me is a spiritual principle, honesty, uh, open-mindedness and willingness. And that right there is a wonderful formula. Like if I don't, if I don't remember anything else, I can remember, okay, this is quote, how it works. Am I practicing these three things? Let me take a look. Um, is, is there a way I can see where I might be able to be more honest, more open-minded, uh, and more willing? And as you just shared, when I do those things, stuff happens, you know, things change, the circumstances shift, and then I have a, a new opportunity to look at what's going on, uh, what's going on with me, um, what, it, you know, what, what is my next best step forward in all of this, etc. Um, and a big part of it is, is by being able to and willing to sort of not not completely dispassionately, but in an open-minded manner, look around and say, well, you know, if I'm honest, what is going on here? I mean, within myself, really, uh, not looking outside at other people. Um, and, and, and am I willing to look at it? And if I am willing to look at it, am I willing to entertain the idea that there might be uh, a different way that I haven't tried or that I haven't had the courage to try um, that I could try now? And so when I think about spiritual principles, um, that's something that that comes to mind. There are so many of them in the twelve step program because I, I'd heard someone say, you know, there is no spiritual part of the program. The entire program is a spiritual program, and so the principles are there underlying each step, underlying the H O W, the twelve, you know, the twelve powers in unity, um, etc. And all of these are concepts that we need to, you know, hang on to. So. Let's uh, hold that thought and move into our short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from our listeners as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. We're glad you found us. 
This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. And prior to the break, we were discussing kind of our old ways of being this way, this fearful way of living. Um, that most, if not all of us in a, in a recovery program have experienced. You know, what did that look like for us? And we talked about the solution to that, spiritual principle. What is that? And how do I know uh, what a principle is? So, Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of fearful living and that the solution is spiritual principles, how exactly uh, can we or have you used spiritual principles to create a life that with more serenity and peace and health and healing in it. Well, you know, when I first arrived in the program, they talked about turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. And that was too big of a task for me, turn it over to God. You know, there's there's a lot of little steps in between for me. And the very first one, and I feel like I say this all the time, was awareness. You know, I had to become aware of what did I need to stop doing and I ha- where where am I out of alignment and, and then become aware of what what particular steps are going to to move me in the proper direction. And so that uh, awareness started with, how do I know when I'm out of alignment? You know, and that for me had to do with the fact that I'm usually in pain. I'm usually in emotional, physical, mental, spiritual pain whenever I am out of alignment with spiritual principle. And uh, becoming aware of that, then that positions me uh, where I can make a conscious choice to do something different. And that for me was key. You know, I, I think that the the very same thing occurred to me as I asked myself the question, well, how have I used spiritual principles to create a life, you know, it's more oriented towards peace and healing and serenity and connection. And my first thought was uh, the tool of prayer and meditation for the purpose of raising awareness. You know, uh, prayer and meditation is a way that I can put into practice these concepts of open-mindedness and willingness that we talked about, because at least the way that prayer and meditation are, are understood in the in the unity movement, in my own uh, understanding of them, is, is more of a um, stillness, you know, and experiencing the presence of God kind of thing, uh, listening for the still small voice, you know, rather than a talking or an asking kind of um practice. So if I'm willing to simply sit and open myself to the experience of the presence of of God, then then that is a way I can put into practice being open-minded. And what that does is it it slowly over time it begins to illuminate for me what is going on. You know, what is happening with within me? What what are the dynamics that are uh, leading me to, you know, end up in the same place as you described of some sort of, you know, emotional, spiritual pain, uh, whatever it might be. And so that's how, that's a, pri- a primary way that I've used spiritual principles to create peace and healthy connection is uh, 
using prayer and meditation to raise awareness because with awareness can come healing. Another way that I have used is, is I'll call it the principle of ask, A-S-K, you know, and in some ways in the beginning, that's what prayer was for me was an asking, you know, for something different. Um, and I, and I continue to use that in the communities that I'm in, you know, whether it's a 12 step recovery community or another, you know, well, how did you do, do it? What did you do when this happened? How, how can I move forward? How did you apply this tool? All of those various types of things. Um, and, and usually because I cannot see it in myself, other people can, and they, they are a mirror. They say, well, it, I think you might be angry about this. And this is what I did to move through that. You know, they can reflect to me things that I'm blind to. And some of those happen to be my feelings. You know, I've worked on that a lot. But one of the awarenesses that I have to have is, is what am I feeling? Because my feelings are nothing more than messengers. They're telling me how I am responding to my external stimuli. And when it's out of alignment in a, in a really um, profound way, when my emotions are way overblown for whatever provoked them, I know that it's about history and it's about other stuff and it's where I'm out of alignment and then I need to, to get back into that alignment. But I, I often can't see that without somebody else helping me. Yeah, there's power in the group, you know, power in the, in the fellowship reminds me that that saying that says nobody can do my spiritual work for me, but I can't do it alone also. Um, well, another principle that comes to mind quickly as I think about how I use spiritual principles to create a, um, a more peaceful, healthy life is faith. Now, I always understood that when people use the word faith, that that just meant um, assent, kind of like you said, like, yes, I'm nodding my head to these list of uh, principles that are, you know, whether it's the Nicene Creed or, or whatever it might be, it's like, yes, I agree that th this is how it is, and, and this is the only path, and this and that. Um, and I come to find out that that's not really faith. I mean, there might be faith involved, and I think for many people there is, but that in itself is, the sense is not faith. You know, f faith is, for me, just sort of a, and it's closely related to willingness, it's sort of a gut level um, acceptance or understanding uh, that I can trust in this or that or the other thing. And the kinds of things that I can trust in are these spiritual principles. And so, for example, um, faith to move ahead, that I can trust the path even when I can't see it. You know, earlier in my life, I was um, I really felt a strong need to understand exactly where something was going before I was willing to even do the first part of it. You know, I, I was not um, I was not oriented towards just jumping into something and you know having the experience. In my experience, it was a bad experience, and that that was a a not a good way to approach the world. It's like, well, I'll just, I'll just jump in and see what happens. You know, I don't know these people. I'll just go them with them and see what happens. Oh no, no, I don't think so. Um, and so it has taken me developing my faculty of faith or this power, this spiritual principle based on faith that says, you know, well, I can change my criteria to, um, you know, do I generally just sort of trust this way of being? Well, let me then just show up and and I and I am willing to 
to see what happens. Or, you know, this this person that I've heard about this from, uh, do I trust them? You know, have, have they have what they said at other times? Uh, have I found that to be true? in general. Well, well, maybe I could try this as well. And so looking at faith in that way um, as a spiritual principle that says, uh, in effect, uh, I'm willing to take the first step when I don't know where the 10th step is, but that's okay. I'm reminded that my first temporary sponsor told me, she said, well, she was so frustrated. <laughs> she said, well, you, but you can see that I have faith, can't you? And I said, oh yeah, that's really apparent. She goes, well, why don't you borrow it? You know? <laughs> and I said, well, what does that look like? And she said, act as if you had faith. What would it look like if you pretended that you had faith? Oh, I would take these steps that I'm afraid of. I would go these places that I'm that I'm af afraid about. You know, I would spend some time with people that scare me. And I'm not talking about in a bad way. I'm talking about just my general reluctance to participate, which we already talked about earlier. You know, acting as if um, I were honest. Act as if, you know, I um, I I knew what I believed. You know, I. Acting as if was a tool that was really helpful for me in engaging some of these spiritual principles when I didn't really feel like I knew what was going on. Absolutely. You know, that that, that phrase that we have, suit up and show up, which for me is it's another expression of faith. It means uh, in, in its own way, uh, even though I don't know what's going to happen, and so maybe in in the context of um, showing up at a into in a recovery meeting, uh, even though I not I don't know exactly what's going to happen, and maybe I don't know everyone who's going to be there, or or if I'm out of town, I literally don't know anyone who's going to be there. Um, let me just show up anyway. You know, let me uh, suit up and show up uh, because that's where my work is, and that's an expression of faith. That's a way of saying, well. You know, I don't really know what's going to happen, and, and I'm not even sure where the place is. So, yes, I'll get a map to it and all that. Um, but let me just let me just enter into this situation and see what happens. Uh, like you're describing, and I've heard that too, um, if I encounter someone that does have faith, that, well, why don't I, why don't I, what would they do? You know, why don't I just try it and see what happens? Um, as an experiment, let me do what they might do. Or if I were a person who had that kind of trust in the world, um, what might I do? Well, let me try that instead. So yeah, suiting up and showing up as an expression of faith, borrowing someone else's faith, um, just sort of taking, uh, you know, being energized by the group in general. It's like, wow, all these people have been in horrible places too and have had really uh, hard experiences with addiction, but look at them now. Um, maybe I could do that. Maybe I can do what they've done. You know, and for me, that's one of the very valuable things about the group because um, if there were only one kind of person that showed up in that group, I might not see myself there. But when I see people that remind me of who I was when I first arrived and they remind me of where I was at three years and five years and whatever, and then there's people that are way, way, way down the path from that, I can see, I can identify someplace and somebody that I can learn from, that I can watch, that can can be a mentor, that can teach me what is the next thing that I need to do, you know, and that um, we talk about it, uh, the next right thing as being one of the, one of the 
the principles that we follow, and that for me is the power of order. What is the next right thing? You know, that one thing builds upon another, and that's what I need to do in order to move along on this path. And so in being in a community that's diverse with experience, that's diverse with with, uh, recovery time, with spiritual belief systems, with all of that kind of thing is just so enhancing for me to be able to. So it's, it's really the power of community, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, another another thing that helped me early on was that I learned about this concept that we call divine guidance, right? The the idea that says that if it is true that uh, the presence of the Spirit, whatever that means, is within me, and it's within you, and it's within each of us, and it permeates everything all the time everywhere. If that is true, then can I turn within and become still? and perhaps um, get some kind of insight or indication, you know, some kind of guidance uh, that's based on the presence of this uh, spirit within that will help me know what to do next. You know, we talk about doing the next right thing. Um, and, and I've seen that sort of in two f- flavors. Usually, it's the thing that's right in front of my face. And the reason I can't see it is not because it's some mysterious thing that has to be revealed through a mountaintop ritual that can only be done in Tibet. Um, Usually I can't see it because it's right in front of my face. It looks boring. It's like, well, how could that be? Well, almost always it's, it's, that's what it is. But if I have a sort of a deeper question, you know, something more about a life path, you know, not, not so much the next right thing in a moment to moment sense, but, um, you know, wh- where is the mountaintop that I want to wake up each morning and begin walking toward, you know, in a broader sense, that I can rely on the presence of the Spirit within me? And that takes practice, and that was a practice that I learned um, in the context of fire walking, but that's just one way to encounter it. You know, you don't have to do something like that uh, in order to become familiar with and begin to rely on and use uh, divine guidance. It can be just an aspect of our of our prayer and meditation practice. And so I rely on that daily now. That works, and I know that it works. And I rely on it in, in every level. And sometimes I forget, and then I remember, oh, yeah, I have a way to know, and, and then I get back to it. You know, and it even talks about that in our in the twelve step program. It talks about by the time you hit step ten, uh, you've you've done all of these awareness and all of these uh, reparations and all of those kinds of things that we begin to pay attention to the hunch. You know, this part of our mind that has been um, shut down or or covered up with all the the bad behaviors and the and the alcohol and drugs and the coping mechanisms and all that kind of thing. And for me, I had to to spend time with myself in the silence, in the pause, in the quiet space to begin to hear that. And I, and I had to have done enough work that the committee in my head was starting to quiet down because I, for a long time, couldn't tell the difference between, you know, a still small voice and the loud clamoring voices. You know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. If I applied that language to anything I was thinking, it was almost always wrong, you know, because um, because it was not the hunch that I was listening to. But I have learned that, um, you know, as Viktor Frankl said, that pause 
between the stimulus and the reaction is where we have that opportunity to touch the divine, to listen to our guidance, to to um, feel that hunch, to get that gut feeling, whatever it is that clues us in to the to the greater good, to the higher to the higher purpose, to the to the higher calling. You know that that pause, whether it's a few minutes, a few seconds, or whether it's you know an hour alone in the silence, whether it's a long walk in the woods, whatever it is, that that's the place where that comes into play for me. And I was first told, they said, okay, so if you're scared and whatever, and you're standing there and take a deep breath in, and as you do say, help, <laughs> and that's enough to cause you to pause and to allow that opening for the guidance to come. I love that. I, I've heard that described as the, you know, God is in the space between our breaths, right? Which is one of those mystical sounding statements it, it reminds me of those zen cones you know what what is the sound of one hand clapping and and those things were very annoying because they obviously didn't have an answer and when why would you ask such a stupid question and and you know what are, what are you posturing you're trying to sound cool what's going on but i now understand that idea of the the idea that that god can be found so to speak in the space between the breaths is enough to allow me to pause and look, you know, look for. Well, if that were true, how would I know? How do I look in between breaths? What does that even mean? Well, if I'm going to do anything that even sounds like remotely could be related to that, I'm probably going to have to be quiet, you know, internally. Kind of like you said, take a breath. Even if I say that powerful prayer, help, um, you know, as I as I take a breath, and just sort of step back and observe what is transpiring within me, or as my minister used to say, how how is it with you right now? Um, then the question, what is the sound of, sound of one hand clapping, or that statement that God is found in between the breaths, sort of disappears in the experience of the peace that I can find within. And I, then I, you know, I appreciate it in that way as a, a way to jog or jar my mind into a different way of seeing. And, and from that different perspective, then I can, uh, you know, better encounter uh, God as I understand God to be. Even if the question that led me to that sounded like, you know, almost like um, lofty nonsense, if you will. You know, so much of this for me, and we talk about this all the time, how our experience is controlled by the mind, you know, and for me, that breath is an opportunity to change the channel. It's an opportunity for a divine idea to come in, for a new direction, to a, to a different way of responding, for um, some way to, to not act out of habit or be driven by adrenaline and that's what makes the difference in my difference in my life life over t over time you know that, that that two minute two second pause right now may make a small difference in today but it's going to make a huge difference down the line you know and you mentioned moments of peace those moments for me got longer i wanted to you know find serenity and live there you know, and uh, and not have these ups and downs and the roller coaster. And, and I, my experience was that, you know, when I practiced these tools and I stayed anchored in principles, the roller coaster rides got fewer and farther between. And I didn't have the emotional swings. Um, they still would come occasionally, but that but I could get moments of peace 
and they told me be grateful for the moments and then I would get minutes of peace and occasionally I would have hours of peace and then eventually my life became a lot more peaceful but it was a it was a gradual progression that was underscored by having to practice this every day every opportunity every time I got triggered every time there was something going on this that reminds me of the the principle because part of what we're doing is we're letting go of old ways of responding and old ways of viewing things and old ways of reacting. And in order to do that, we have to be, as we keep saying, honest and open-minded and willing to try new things and to take a breath and to see what happens and to withhold judgment and to do all of those things that we learn about. But the one way to characterize all of that is what we call the power of release, right? Of letting go. I have found that spiritual growth or what I might call spiritual growth is in general a process of release. You know, I used to think it was a process of learning and I would read lots and lots of books and, you know, I wanted to go hear wise speakers and go to workshops and all those things are fine and wonderful. But um, I got to a point where I realized that I, I need to actually do uh, a, even a small percentage of what I'm running around reading about, and it became a matter of not adding things, but of letting go. Or as that great spiritual sage Kenny Rogers sang, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, when to walk away, and when to run. Oh, yes, you do need to know those things. That's called discernment, right? And that's one thing that our internal guidance can provide. So knowing what to let go of and when, you know, when, when am I, when am I letting go of something that's really just, I'm being spiteful towards someone and I'm attacking them? Or when am I letting go of something that really it's, it is good time. It is time for me to let go of this or of that. A behavior, you know, smoking cigarettes, for example, I did for most of my life. There came a time when it was time to let that go. And I did. So, you know, letting things go and knowing, knowing when and how uh, can be tricky, but it's a powerful part of our path, I think. You know, there's another aspect too, and that is, um, you know, we, we talk about in unity how um, the Christ lives within us, that the, there's a spark of the divine within every human being. And we've talked in prior shows about looking for that, looking for the good. And one of the things that besides looking for it that I have had to do um, as a principle, first of all, it's there. Can I find it? Secondly is can I honor that? Can I honor somebody else's experience? Can I respect where they are, what they're going through, what their experience has been. Can I support them through that? Um, you know, it, I may be triggered by whatever was going on with them or what have you, but, you know, can I show respect? That's been something that um, I, I practice. That's something that uh, comes up from time to time. It is something in working with people that has a actually has furthered my growth, I believe, because it makes me look at what's going on with me when they when they say that and I get all upset about it what's going on with me you know and so being able to engage respectfully and uh, supportively with people that are going through challenges and that kind of thing that has been an important uh, growth opportunity for me you know that it's it's all coming to mind that this is a matter of no, no it's the hula hoop right the spiritual principle of the hula hoop that says what do i have control over and what don't i and i heard this taught in such a beautiful way to a child where the child given a piece of trash in their hand you say well what what 
will you do with that? Well, I, I, I could throw it away. Yes, that's within, you have control over that. Now let's draw the outline of your hand on a piece of paper and on each finger we'll write something you have control over. Your actions, your thoughts and emotions, you know, you're basically the inside the hula hoop stuff. Everything else, what she or he does, what they're doing, what they, you don't have control over that. So I thought that was a wonderful way to teach that principle, especially to a child. It's within my hand. I have control over it. It's out of my hands. I don't. But let's move now into action. Uh, Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from living in a disconnected or fearful manner to experiencing peace and healing in your life using spiritual principles. Think of a way in which you're living from this place of fear. Do you feel unable to express yourself in intimate relationships? Maybe you feel misunderstood and disconnected at work. Or is it hard for you to trust your family or friends? What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on right here and now in this exercise. Um, you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it any time you want to in order to find peace. So let's use the example of unable to express yourself to loved ones. Use this statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to living from this fear. You could say something like, fear does not control me. It is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Fear does not control me. It is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am a child of God. My needs are valid and deserve to be heard. And then take a few quiet moments, this pause we talk about, to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Once again, fear does not control me. It is not the truth of who I am. I'm a child of God. My needs are valid and deserve to be heard. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something that'll help you on your recovery path. Thank you for everybody that was listening, and we bless you on your recovery journey. And thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page during the week, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. 
Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.